Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and I'm really, really excited to be back um, after a few weeks off from giving you this information every week live. I'm now back every week in your inbox, whether you can listen live or not. And I love getting your notes that are sent to me through Gmail, which you can find on the website for this show, as well as on Facebook. We are Feel Good Naked Radio on Facebook, as well as Instagram, my personal favorite. And for many of you who want to know more about what motivated me to do this show, I have been in the wellness industry for over 33 years, which is wild to think about. Time is such a wild sense of not knowing where you are until you look back and go 33 years of this business. And we all have certain things that challenge us on this road of life. I've had many Um And the information I give to clients through either working on the phone or through Skype or in person is very important for everyone to know. I think the information is helpful for all of those who don't have the chance to work with someone individually who are maybe going through things in life that don't have any way of feeling like they are going to have an an ending that's happy or a new road to travel through. I call that being embodied. I think embodiment is social, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental. To be embodied is to be in your life, to really, really be in your life and to realize that you do have choices. So each of my shows is a lot of work. I find people in their fields who do their work from a passionate place like I do and who have done the time, who are experts. Um, Today we have Dr. Bonnie Comfort. She was my most popular guest in my first year of this show, and I wanted her back as my first guest for my second year to talk about infidelity. We, We had this on our show last year. Everybody responded and loved it, wanted more of it. And I understand that because infidelity, when it affects your life, it changes your life. And I think that there is very little understood about the complexity of it, as well as the many layers of it. So today we're unpacking Infidelity 2.0. And for those of you who didn't meet Bonnie in my first year, I want to tell you about her. She is an amazing woman who received her PhD in clinical psychology from the California Graduate Institute Los Angeles and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. She is licensed as a clinical psychologist in both California and Oregon, where she has been in private practice for many years, concentrating 
on treatment of anxiety, depression, marital problems, and life transitions. Dr. Comfort's first fiction novel, Denial, was published in the United States by Simon & Schuster in 1995 and translated and published in six foreign countries. She is currently working on a memoir of her 33-year marriage and her recovery from the death of her husband in 2010. Welcome back, Dr. Comfort. So glad to be here, Laura. Thank you. We had a huge reaction to our first show about infidelity, and that tells me that many people are suffering through it or maybe have become more empowered because of it um, or are curious about it because they're contemplating it or um, wondering what it really means if they go for it. So I wanted to just open the show by saying that we know that we're human beings capable of changing our behavior. Is this why we have affairs? Is this why we are pulled to infidelity or um, might even just consider it mentally? People have affairs and are unfaithful in a primary relationship for many different reasons other than love. Uh, And um, I think the the motivations that are most interesting for us to talk about are the actual affairs that go on for some time, not a quick um, sexual encounter in a hotel room when you're in another city um, or the desire for sexual novelty that may be very brief. Um, But when people are in long-term relationships and they choose to have an affair and they feel that they have fallen in love with somebody else, those are the situations that create such havoc in people's lives. And um, so I've thought a lot about this. I've seen a lot of people who have had uh, affairs for different reasons, in many of them in marriages or long-term live-in relationships. And... Um, For some of them, they want to get out of their long-term relationship, but they don't really have the courage to initiate a separation, and they kind of let themselves get involved with somebody else, somebody who can reassure them that a new life is possible, a new person that they can feel in love with again. And, um, you know, for example, I have a friend who was married for 20 years, became increasingly unhappy in it, and she used to stand at her kitchen sink doing the dishes after dinner and say a silent prayer, please send me someone. Mm -hmm. So there's that kind of motivation for an affair. There's other affairs that develop because you, in a long-term relationship, you kind of suppress aspects of yourself that don't fit with your partner, and those aspects of yourself go dormant for a long, long time. And then sometimes you begin to feel that you're no longer vitally who you really are with your current partner. And and then you find yourself attracted to somebody else who reactivates those dormant aspects of yourself, and you feel younger again and more vital and feel like you are shining in a way that you didn't before. So there's there's that kind of motivation. And then there are people who feel that they are just chronically not getting their needs met in their marriage. Lots of people with children who stay because of the 
needs of the children, but they feel unhappy with the emotional connection or lack of it with their partner, and um, and they're lonely, and they are therefore vulnerable to connecting with somebody else, or they're angry. They're angry with their partner, alienated, um, and want to defiantly and secretly express it by having this outside relationship. And then there's times when somebody's been married, for example, in their early 20s, and they've been together 20 years, but they've really become a different person by their time they're in their early 40s. And it's very hard to adapt to those changes over a long period of time without feeling like you're just a different person than you were and you want somebody different. Yeah, you go ahead. There's, there's there's so many reasons why people have affairs. Go go ahead and what interrupt were, what me. What were you What were you just going to say? And then oh, there's I was going to say the distress of aging. You know, you talk about you know midlife crisis where uh, you know the sort of classic is is a 50 year old man gets a red sports car and and wants to um, uh, trade in his wife for a beautiful young woman who can make him feel young again. But see, all of it to me, when I hear you, it it does feel like an avoidance of what's really going on. Because, I mean, if we're going to see the affair as all the reasons that may create it, we have to then wonder, what aren't you really saying to your partner? Because, I mean, whether it's emotional, sexual, monetary affairs. I've heard this one woman in my office who's talked about finding out that her um, husband has been having these financial habits that were never revealed to her and she feels as betrayed as if he were with a lover, a physical person. (laughs) So the point I'm making is that whatever leads to this sort of erosion or fracture or change Something isn't being dealt with between these two people in this relationship that has caused one or the other to go elsewhere for a very large part of what they're needing that they're not getting. Well, you've really gone to the heart of the issue. That is exactly right. And many of us are afraid to either confront within ourselves the ways that we're dissatisfied with our partner. We don't want to admit it because it means we're going to have to know it and do something about it. Or we're afraid to tell our partner for fear of what the results are going to be. And so rather than be brave and really admit to ourselves and to admit to our partner there's something not right here and we really need to address it, they slide out into something else instead. So my question is, let's say you're brave and you have the courage and you say to that partner, I'm not happy, I need something else, Um, my eros, my erotica, Uh, my body is feeling like it needs new flesh and I love you and I want to be with you, whatever. So let's, let's go with the physical affair. Mm -hmm. How, how many people can handle the courage of that person's honesty and then still want to love them? I mean, so there's the other side of honesty and courage is that 
I don't know a lot of people that can say, okay, honey, I want you to go get your physical satisfaction. And you said in the beginning, this is not just a romp in the hay at the hotel, but at any point that there's betrayal, another person starts to close down. So whether you're being lied to and you don't know about the affair or whether the person's being courageous and brave and and letting you in on it, something is then, I think, typically closed down within the other person. And now you're breaking down something that wasn't broken before. Well, I, I think that it's very destructive to handle the issues by going to your partner and saying, I, I want to be with somebody else. I want to have an affair with somebody else. Because it really, in a certain way, is a red herring. If you feel tempted, if you find yourself attracted to other people, that is a red flag that there is some issue in your relationship that you are not dealing with. And that's the thing to talk to your partner about. Not, mm-hmm. I want to go and have an affair with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, it, um, it, it's a moment of soul searching to say, what is it that I'm not getting? What is it I want that is not happening in my primary relationship? And is it possible? Is it possible to get it from this person? I have to give this person a chance. And you can give the relationship a chance by not talking about an affair, even if you've had one, but by going back and saying, you know what? We don't talk anymore. I feel really distant. I feel lonely with you. This is not good. And to be able to be open and direct without attacking is a critical factor because if you explain your hurt and disappointment with, for a request for what you want, that is hopeful. But if you are angry enough that you come at your partner by saying, you don't care about me, you work all the time, I have to do everything around here myself, you shut the other person down instead, for example, saying, I need to talk to you, I miss you when you're away, can we plan time together, can you help me more around the house? So there's that, the soul searching that you have to do to figure out exactly what it is that's triggering your own feeling of disappointment and distance. And then the next question is, how do you communicate that to your partner? Boy, that's so helpful because you're right. It's not about letting them in on the most hurtful thing you could say. It's about really unpacking or unearthing that fracture that's starting in you individually within that relationship that is feeling like, what you didn't understand before you started to love that person because you go into love. Everybody goes into love hoping it's going to grow and flourish and be successful. But often you get there and say, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I thought would happen after 10 years together, 30 years together, whatever it may be. And then you start to seek different places that are not within that sacred bond. Yes, but, you know, we are all in some ways victims of the ideas of romantic love and soulmates. You know, we are all looking for a partner who understands us, takes care of us, meets our needs and repairs old wounds, somebody who's committed to us, who won't leave us, who loves us physically, who sees who we are, forgives and accepts our flaws, puts up with our idiosyncrasies, someone whose company we love and who we have fun with and we have deep conversations with. But nobody 
can sustain that kind of need fulfillment for you. And we know a lot about the magic of how love starts, you know, because it's all fairy dust in the beginning. But we don't know so much about how to continue it for years and years and understand that lasting love is not a happy accident. It's a learned skill, and that skill is hard to learn. Mm, that's helpful. And, you know, you're reminding me of the motivation that I feel with this show because it's really about learning who you are. And existentially speaking, that can be very complicated and painful and lonely even when you're in relationship. But what you just said reminds me of what James Hollis wrote about love and connection with other, which was to say that um, the the point of relational engagement is the hidden hope that the other will complete us, nurture, and protect us. And if we are really fortunate, spare us the rigors of the individuation project. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, you know, so so I think there is a great hope that if I if I seek other and I find that they're going to be able to complete me or provide what I need, and then years into it, you get into the reality of life with someone and say, wait, 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 this is my stuff that I have to figure out. This partner can't give this to me necessarily. And that is so hard to do because we want to have somebody else make us happy instead of asking ourselves, what do I need to do to make myself happy? It's, it's, it's so much easier to blame your partner for whatever you're unhappy about, to think if you could just change your partner, you'd feel better. And, and um, it, you can't, unfortunately, control anyone else. You can't yeah. change anyone else except yourself. You can transform your relationship by bringing something different to it. But part of the process of maturing that James Hollis talks about is accepting that loneliness is part of the human condition, that being in a love relationship doesn't fix loneliness necessarily, and certainly not always, and that you must tolerate not getting everything you want from some other person. Yeah. So that being said, if you're the person having the affair and you're already in going in that direction, emotional or sexual or both, what are the questions that you should ask yourself if you're having an affair? Um, well, it's very important to ask questions because you. this is your... Uh, chosen method so far of trying to fix what you're unhappy about. And so one of the things you want to ask is, what am I getting from my lover that I don't get from my partner? Because that will tell you what you feel you're missing in your relationship, in your primary relationship. And you could also ask yourself, in what ways am I disappointed and angry with my partner? And can I imagine leaving my partner and being happier on my own, even if things don't work out with my new lover? Because simply trading in one person for another is no guarantee that another few years gone by, you're going to be in the same boat again. 
Well, and I'll tell you why that's complicated is because if you have started a family with that person and you're in the parenting stages, I have to say, I think there's so little conversation around the fact that certainly for many women that I see and and work with, you're in such a compromised place with being a mother and having to take care of other that you often lose your excitement or energy or ability to give that partner what they're used to or what they've had before. And then there's just this huge interruption that I, I see often um, leads another to find the person that's going to have the energy or the patience or the time or light up when they walk in the room. And if you're a mom, when you walk in the room, you're, you say to your partner, get this, get that. I got to take a break. Here's the baby or the child. Please, you know, it breaks down that eros and that erotic energy that can be so intoxicating. Yes, it is. And it requires, therefore, the people that I see who manage to navigate this most successfully are people who really talk to each other about this very subject, who say, you know, I'm so worn out from looking after the kids. I just don't feel like I have any energy for you. Can you help me with this? Can we do something different? Let's make sure we keep checking in with each other and talking about it. And the... um, the sharp division of roles that happens often where one parent is at home and doing childcare and the other person is out in the world earning money fosters more distance, more separation that really requires talking. Well, and I almost think you have to put together a plan with child in mind or children that does allow for a real shift and the ways you've related as two humans that just have each other to focus on, I don't think there's any way to continue in that way because now there are other people or another person. And so what I often hear, and this is interesting because I think, again, we're not speaking about this publicly enough. A lot of women will admit to me, I'm so exhausted being a mother. I would just like to have sex with someone and not have to think or talk or deal with it. Yeah. And, and I think often women are um, wanting much less burden from, you know, heterosexual male husband than they had before their, you know, bodies became mothers and their souls and their minds were devout to this new being. And now they don't want from the husband what they were traditionally getting before that. Well, and a lot of women bond so closely with their children that they have then ter- that their primary emotional connection becomes with the child instead of the partner, which isn't good. I know, and, but that almost happens for some people in their bodies, where they don't, that you know, they just don't crave that lover like they did. So then, what do you do when that's what you're feeling secretly as the female? Well. Um, I think it depends on how much you trust that your husband, if we're talking about husbands and wives, your husband might get that and understand it and you might ask for help from your husband to say, you know, I'm just so, I'm so worn out. I feel so, you know, um, 
spent, really, looking after the kids. I just don't feel much like having sex. And, you know, maybe maybe could we have a date night one night a week and get child care so we could, or maybe we can, can we, can we go to a motel once a month for the afternoon so that I can feel more like my old self? Um, you know, or how are you feeling? Do you care about it? And I think some women are just, you know, they get so much physical contact from their kids. They just don't want anybody touching them. Exactly. And there's that too, like forget sex, just get me a beautiful cup of tea and draw a bath for me. And that would be great. Thanks. You know, I mean, I think it, it changes what, what we all need. And so your point about dialogue, communication, discussions that are ongoing for married couples that have children. And, And even if you're lesbians, you know, or two gay men raising children, if you have that responsibility, I think your point about communication is a great proactive way to set yourselves up for success with all those different changes in ways that what you knew will no longer be. Well, the the couples I see who do the best at that are couples who kind of check in with each other every day and, you know, how is your day going? How are you feeling? How's your body today? And so they're kind of really witnessing each other's lives every single day and feeling like they are going on this path together. When it doesn't go well, there's so little sharing that each person feels like they're really living a life separate from the other. Mm, I love that every day. So you don't wait until you're in trouble. You get that communication healthy now um, when things aren't in trouble and then you make it a daily check-in and you have that moment each day to really hear how each other are and what they're doing and how they feel you can best support them. Exactly. And, you know, I find some couples do this by email or text, you know, mm, and, and they... It is because one's, they're not in the same physical location or all I've got is two minutes, but they really, you know, I really loved what you did for dinner last night. Thank you so much. Or let me know how it went at school today. What was, how was the school meeting? So that you have the sense that your partner really cares how yeah. you're feeling every single day. Yeah. Totally. I want to switch to being on the receiving end of um, infidelity. Uh, that would be my story. You know, I've, I've been the re- recipient of infidelity. And um, all I can say in a personal context is that it turned my life upside down, but ultimately taught me a different way to trust myself and to look within to get what I needed as opposed to another. But but I think that there's a lot to say about when you're on the receiving end of infidelity. And so I'd like to open that idea up with just hearing your feedback about that. Um, what you could say right off the bat would be helpful for someone who either discovers it or, you know, has an inclination to look at their partner's cell phone and sees that, oh my God, who is this person texting my partner? And it definitely has elements of um, an affair. What would you say about the person who's on the receiving end of infidelity? Well, it's a, it's a earth-shattering discovery for most people mm-hmm. and, it is, and just horrifying. And um, 
it it just rocks your world. You you just you you don't even feel like you don't even know who your partner is anymore. And and if if my partner is doing this, what else is it that I haven't been told about or involved in? You just feel so alienated and furious, and you're in shock. And you know, so there's a tremendous amount of blame and anger and withdrawal and the desire to punish your partner and um, it, and then, but but there are you, you go through all that and there's it's a huge crisis. It's a huge crisis, and depending on how much your partner wants to rescue the relationship. It, 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 it describes how it's going to go because if you have discovered an affair and you confront your partner and your partner says to you, you're right, I'm having this affair, I'm not in love with you anymore and I don't want to be married to you anymore, that's utterly devastating and very different from somebody who just breaks down into sobbing and feels awful and says, I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry. I don't want to lose you. What can I do to make it up to you? So, you know, it depends on on where your partner's at in this. But, um, you know, I think it's a crisis that requires support. I mean, you're in shock when you discover this. You need to seek help from your friends. You need to go to individual therapy or counseling or a life coach who can help you sort out your feelings. But I would say in navigating this that it's important not to make any quick decisions because Mm. you have to give it time to sink in and give your partner time to process it and to talk with you and allow, you know, your partner to explain what's gone on. Um, and uh, uh, you know things will never be the same between you and your partner, but sometimes that's can, that can be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that comes up for me, and this is thankfully in hindsight and not my current reality, because really when you're going through it, it is as if your entire body is going through a massive earthquake um, and you can't find any way to feel the ground, to uh, acclimate what is safe. The trust within is ruined. I mean, there's so much that happens at the onset of being the recipient. And I think the, the lack of trust that continues forward is what has to be really fixed, healed, um, new tools from third party for sure. But but the thing that I, I, I came to write when you were speaking about it is the rage. And the rage often kills the love because that rage is the earthquake. So I think there's something that needs to be offered to the listeners about what that feeling of rage what one can do with that to come back to a grounded state so that there is the chance to either rebuild or repair or hear the other person in a therapeutic environment. So what what do you do with the rage? Uh, well, first of all, the uh, earthquake is not only the rage, it is the shattering of your assumptions about your life Mm. and your assumptions about your partner and your relationship. 
And that fuels the rage because you feel that everything that you believed, everything that you counted on, everything you've built your life around is suddenly completely in question and you don't know what to believe anymore. And you're furious with your partner for putting you in that position, but it is that that is so ground-shaking. And the rage that comes from it is blaming the other person. You've been unfaithful to me. You you have put me in this position. What's going to happen to our family? What's going to happen to our children? And you need to do some of that rage expression away from your partner, screaming, crying, hitting your pillow, writing it out, talking to friends. If you launch such a vicious attack on your partner that neither of you can come back from it, you have gone too far. Yeah. Yep. I, I, that's so true. And, and that will be the result. But, but there is such disruption that gets caused by the affair and that betrayal can be so wounding that maybe if it feels like I'm remembering it to have felt, it is not something that can be recovered or fixed because that rage and that anger is not going to cease even with help or pillows and friends and and screaming on a mountaintop. You still look at that person and every time they say something, you wonder if it's true, you know, and then you look at the cell phone when they're in the shower, but you really didn't want to ever do that again. And you said, okay, I won't do that again. And then they're in the shower and you're like, okay, Oh my gosh, they changed their security code on their cell phone. Um, What do you mean you're going to be late? Um, You have a business trip where? I mean, I think it just creates such paranoia that's unfair to the person who then has to figure out how to live with the doubt that might not be in a form of rage anymore, but it has dismantled any sort of trust or safety that you once felt. I mean, I think that's the thing is you're right. There's such a, del- you, you, you really have to come into an honest understanding of delusion. Did it, did you, were you in a delusion about what you thought was true that obviously wasn't? All of that is very difficult to, I believe, recover from and then carry on with that person. So maybe what would be helpful is for you to give all of us some sort of a toolbox that we can use to cope that doesn't have to be the end of the relationship, but boy, if you don't do these tools, you're not going to have a chance. Well, a lot of marital therapists um, recommend that, uh, you know, that you go to couples therapy and you allow the person who has been injured and, and cheated on to express that anger as long as he or she needs to do it until they feel the other person has really seen it, really felt it, really feels awful about, you know, about imposing this pain. Some people get tired of being beat up. Some partners get fed up and say, look, I, I, you know, I have groveled, I have apologized, I have done everything I can to try to make you feel better and repair it, and you're still 
you know, looking over my shoulder and you're still beating me up about it and I'm tired of it. So it, it sometimes that's what happens. But I think what you want to do is put into place rituals that help the injured person feel trust again. That is to say, okay, I'm going out of town, but I'm going to give you my exact itinerary. I'm going to report to you. I'm going to tell you where I am and feel okay about doing that because I really want you to trust me again. Mm, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so agreeing on how you're going to build the trust again by involving, by making sure that you don't change your passwords, by having complete transparency on all your electronic devices so that there, you don't have any sense that another person could be contacting your partner in any other way. Oh, yeah. I love that. And I'm going to add to that, that if you are the person that had the affair and your want, you know, your, your desire is to repair, then you need to be extremely patient about how your partner's process may play out. And with that, as you say, going the extra mile with no more hidden anything, but also not expecting it to be fixed by that within 30 days, you know, to know that 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 partner may be in that state with you of needing every detail, every itinerary, every password for a couple of years. You know, it's not going to be done within that first 30 days. And I think that's what I see a lot is there's an impatience sometimes by the person that has had the affair that says, oh, okay, I'm sorry, here are my passwords, let's just make this work. And then, you know, a week later, they're like, why are you so upset? Uh, we're, we're working this out, aren't we? You've got my passwords, don't you? You know what I mean? I think there needs to be a timeline of patience. I mean, actually, what you mean is no timeline, because the person has been traumatized and <clears throat> there will be ever after that reminders of it that come up even years later. Exactly, exactly. No timeline. And, and and yes, I meant that exactly because I think sometimes the people that go through this, they will often say, you know, he or she expected me to be over this in, you know, two years and I'm not, or right. I'm still struggling, or I am still paranoid, or I feel really upset by this. And, and that has to be understood and I believe embraced by that person who had the affair. It, it must be understood. Yes, it must be. I mean, I, you know, like for example, I had a, I had a person whose husband had an affair and told her, and the, the affair was over, but told her that the phrase that he and his lover used was into the woods because they used to meet in the forest and, mm. and, you know, fool around in the forest. Well, that phrase, Into the Woods, tormented her for years, including there was a Broadway play called Into the Woods, and she couldn't look at the paper and see that without thinking Uh, of it again. So, yeah, Yeah, a partner who is strayed has to be very patient about that, has to not only apologize profusely and mean it, but ask your partner what he or she needs in order to recover, in order to begin the process of repair. And maybe ask that question often and without um, thinking that you can stop asking it at some point. Maybe that's another great tool. You keep asking that and you ask it again and you ask it again. Um, But, you know, the other thing I think that's important is for the person who has had the affair to say, okay, I'm going to go into individual therapy 
because I want to understand why I made this disastrous choice because I don't ever want to make it again and I need to know what happened inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's reassuring to the partner who has been cheated on because nothing takes the place of insight and knowledge in repairing what was done. Oh, that's brilliant. And oftentimes, as we both know, the person that had the affair has pathology that exists within them even before their marriage or their intimate relationship with the person that they cheated on. And so finally getting help with what that is individually is invaluable. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, I I, um, I saw a couple where the husband was... Uh, he just found it irresistible to have women coming on to him, and he kept he kept having repeated affairs, which his wife found out about, and he kept doing it and apologizing, doing it over over again. But he had this compulsive sexual need, and until he got into therapy and addressed it, and had some um, sexual addiction counseling, and came to understand his vulnerabilities in that way, he couldn't really repair it fully. And when he did go to therapy to get the understanding of what that was about, did that obviously change the desire to have those affairs? Did it did it lower that need and, and fix that within him? Um, I think it did. I think it did. It took a long, long time. A long, long time, but he began to see that he was, you know, in a certain way seeking endlessly affirmation because he didn't feel good enough about himself. And he worked on that a long time, and it got better. And the wife um, understood that. Um, but but that it's an unusual person who can really go down that road far enough and, and actually heal in that way. And, and, you know, a sexual compulsion is much harder to fix than a one-time affair that comes out of feeling, you know, alienated from your partner because of the volume of your work and how, you know, your partner's busy with children. But you better understand it no matter what for your yes. sake and yes. for the sake of those that love you. Yes. Uh, so Bonnie, I do how... want to, I oh, do want to say, though, that, that in terms of coping with in, the, in the earthquake phase, one thing to do is to take a physical break from each other for a few days or a week. You know, ask the person who's fooled around to leave the house for a week so that you can just, you know, calm and you can um, and sort of gather yourself. I think that's something. And I think um, you have to work on your communication uh, process with your partner in a long-term way. Okay, you were going to ask me something. Go ahead. I was just going to say, what do you do? I mean, these tools are really valuable. And then the question to ask you now is, do these tools change or do we need additional ones when there are children in the home? Uh, well, it's not so much that the tools change, but the, the having children in the home is a giant reason to try to weather the storm. Um, and 
there's so much at stake when these little lives are involved and they love both parents and they want both parents to stay together. So it's so important that you protect them from the details of what's going on and they know they will know that something's wrong, but it's it's important that children are not um, pulled to one side or another, that they don't know the details of one partner having had an affair and that now they become um, pawns in the parents uh, fighting with each other. Yeah. You want mm. children to know they're not the cause of the problems. And um, if, if an affair results in a separation and ultimately a divorce, the least damage is done to children happens when the spouses maintain a friendship with each other, when they, for the sake of the children, are, behave amicably, don't badmouth the, the, the ex to your kids because they love both of you and it's agonizing for them to be caught in the middle. Yeah. Well, and what I certainly believe to be true is that everyone has their own experience of a family breaking up and the child is going to have their own experience, which has nothing to do with yours. So there's also a respect that needs to be given to children in you know, the aftermath of a family breaking up, no matter what their age and no matter how much deceit led to it. Well, well said, well said, and that, you know, and respecting them means that you don't use them for your own needs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're not the pawn that you would ever want to even consider. Um, what can you do to prevent an affair in yourself or your partner? Let, let's let's try to, like, go with the positive, okay, here's how we can avoid this. <laughs> we, we don't really want to ever have to go through right, this. How do right, we avoid right. it? Yes. Uh, well, I think when you're, if you find yourself wishing for something different than when you're getting at home, you need to pay attention and ask yourself what needs to change at home. And um, one wise thing to know is that we are often discontented with our relationships because we see our partner through the lens of our own history and our old wounds, and we don't realize that we're seeing our partner that way through a particular set of glasses. So the more you can discover this, the less you tend to blame your partner for your unhappiness and avoid distance and anger. But when you're unhappy, that's the time, if you find yourself unhappy with your partner, you have to pay attention to it. You have to notice if you're finding other people attractive and check in regularly. How are things going between us, you say to your partner? Is there something, you know, that, that you're unhappy with me about? I have some things that are bothering me, and I don't want it to build up from a pebble to a boulder, so let's talk about it now. And the more you can practice the principles of making long-term love work, the less likely you are to have an affair. And that means expressing your feelings openly and directly without being attacking. That's a big job to be able to do that, to be able to say, 
you know, not only, okay, I need to talk to you, I'm upset because this and this happened and I'm feeling hurt and I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling discounted or not seen and and I want you to hear that. The other piece is you have to be able to listen non-defensively when you are on the receiving end of that. So don't prepare your rebuttal before your partner has even finished what she is saying or what he is saying. Put aside your justification for your actions and really try to hear what your partner feels and wants. And that, those things, expressing yourself without being attacking, listening non-defensively, and speaking respectfully are three critical factors in making long-term love work. And when I say speak respectfully, I mean don't call your partner names or attack her character like you're a liar, you're selfish, you only care about yourself, you're, you know, you're, you're um, stingy, you're... Uh, you're you're lazy. Any of those things is alienating, and actually doesn't truly express what you're unhappy about. So you need to talk about what you need. You need to ask your partner to actually hear it without defending, and speak respectfully to each other. And I'm going to throw right there. I'm going to throw in the idea that. That is a beautiful reason to get a therapist or a coach that can facilitate even monthly meetings where you are able to find the language with the third-party helper that is going to be the most constructive and the most repairing and the most loving. And with that, learning how to actively listen with someone there to help you. Because a lot of couples fail at what you just said based on the emotional um, acceleration or activation that oh, it's makes so it... so helpful. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so helpful to have a third neutral person in the room who can interrupt that defensiveness or interrupt yeah. the, you know, the demeaning attack and say, okay, wait a minute, what is it you really need? What is it you're feeling? And and I th- and I think also because if that person is getting that individual help with hopefully even the same person, then there is a historical understanding of what's going on that, again, may not even have anything to do with that partner that's activating that within you, but you need to know what it is that creates that within you that is so upsetting or anger-inducing or historically triggers you. Absolutely. That's exa- that's the word, the trigger. What are your triggers and what yeah. are the triggers of your partner that flip you into that childhood state where you feel angry and wounded because something happened many years ago that formed your expectations of of what you want from a person and the way that you have been wounded by the past. And yeah. so you need to know that for yourself. You know, you need to know... Um, you know, if, if I'm a person who was cheated, if I'm a person whose father had an affair and left my mother over it, I am darn sure I don't want to ever be with somebody who has an affair. And then it happens. Yeah. But even on a less um, dramatic scale, let's say you... 
uh, are with somebody who likes to be frugal and you have a history. One history you have is that you had a parent who was frugal and you love this about your partner. You may say, my mother put our whole family in debt and I feel so much safer with a partner who saves. That's one set of glasses. So that doesn't trigger you. But if you have somebody who said, I hate frugality, my parents were so generous and I associate that with being loved, then you've got a trigger if your partner doesn't behave that way. And knowing that, you can talk about it with each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. So important. And and I also think just in, in closing down our conversation here, I think there is something to say about doing this type of work with a partner is possibly going to be the way to survive infidelity and to stay together and ultimately to improve your marriage. Exactly. I mean, I have seen couples weather that storm, go through the fire, and actually come out at the other end with their marriage in much better shape than it was. So that actually the crisis of infidelity forced them to really explain who they are now, talk about what they need, find different ways to cope with it, and actually learn to bring back novelty and passion in their relationship and appreciate each other more. Yeah, and if you're not one of those couples, I can say, speaking from experience, when the marriage can't survive that sort of fracture, you do end up finding a life that's better for you. And you do end up finding what you need if you aren't, you know, you're not able to make it uh, after something like that, perhaps because of the historical realm of that particular wound. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's both ways you can go and either way there are options. And and we've done a great job of providing some of those ideas, Bonnie. So, Thank you. Thank you for your time. I know you've got a very busy schedule today, and I just so appreciate the way that you break things down like infidelity because there's great complexity to the topic and the reality of it in one's life, but there are options to see a brighter way. Well, I just want to say thank you for having me on and also what you just last said, that I think it's important to know that there is hope after you leave a relationship that you can create something that makes you happier if that's the way it goes. Yeah, and you can't know that when you're no. in the earthquake, the earthquake no. stages. But <laughs> in hindsight, as we say, it's 2020, and you look back and think, you know, I probably wouldn't have grown old happy with that person. So right. um, I'm glad I'm living my life as I am, and you know, hopefully there can be a kindness between the two people after the fact. But yeah. it isn't. It isn't always meant to work after such difficulty and I think sometimes the ending of something is so brutal because it had to end and the only way was a brutal ending so there are all sorts of ways to unpack this and it's certainly I I think you said to me there are 40% of marriages that suffer through this is that what the percentage was that you shared yeah Yeah, that that's that's notable and that (laughs) means that you're not alone out there listening you're not alone you you there are other people that are going through exactly what you're going through right now and um 
Bonnie, thank you. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And all of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in and sharing this with someone that you know that may be within that 40% suffering at this very moment and who needs some some hope in their toolbox. Thanks so so much, Laura. Thank you, Bon. And for all of you out there, as you know, this show is here for you in order to help you become more embodied and to learn the invaluable lesson that you complete you thank you thank you for listening to feel good naked radio with laura redmond please join us live again next thursday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel until our next show be you and feel great in your own skin